to be filled with the Spirit, and um, we kind of broke that down a little bit, it says be filled, that is a commandment, that is, uh, when you look at the tenses of that verb and uh, all that, and you take apart the Greek, it's a command, that is for every believer it is an ongoing um, action so it really means um, continue being filled and it is uh, an action that is done to you by an outside source so when it says be filled it's not something that you can do um, because God is the one who does the filling so he's commanded us all to continually be filled by Him, which seems kind of odd. How can we be commanded to do something that we don't do? And so I've tried to, um, in my own processing, try to unpack that and see what that looks like, and tried to show up on Sundays and and pass on some of that and the things I feel like God has for us, and um, kind of... And it came down to this, this one thing I just keep saying a lot, and it's that um, God does the filling, but we create the space. And uh, if you think of your life as a, as a bucket, um, I used an Orange Home Depot bucket last week for Trent Frazier, manager of Home Depot in Denham, uh, who would be glad to meet all of your lumber needs and uh, stuff like that. Um, and so the, the Home Depot bucket, it's, it's actually called Homer's Bucket. I went and looked at, at one. Um, And uh, if you think of your life like that, God does the filling, but we create the space, meaning that there's so many times where our lives are filled with things that are not Him, and those things take up space in our lives. And so He's doing the filling, and so us creating the space is us trying to get the things out of our lives that uh, are not Him. The things that we are looking to for security and value and comfort and direction and whatever... And um, it, can be, it can be anything um, because and all of us probably have different ones and we probably, most of us have more than one. Uh, it can be relationships, it can be money, it can be possessions, uh, it can be a job, it can be um, status at your job, um, it could be being athletic, being funny, being cool, um, making really good grades, uh, climbing the corporate ladder. Um, you know, it, it can be, there's, there can be all these things that we look to to make us uh, content. And those things placed in that Home Depot bucket are taking up a lot of space that the filling of the Spirit needs to be taking. And so we're trying to get rid of those things in our lives and maybe, maybe calling them idols would be a little bit too much or a little too Old Testament or whatever. Um, but that was a problem that Israel had is, was idolatry. And um, Maybe our problems aren't that different. And so um, we kind of started off just trying to look at, all right, well, 
what is this all about? And last week, like I said, we looked at Jeremiah 2, um, and, and God said, you've abandoned me, and you've, you've started digging your own wells. You've taken things into your own hands. And um, like I said earlier, we just, uh, I felt like we landed last week just really wanting God to show us how incredibly stupid that is and how foolish that is. And so what I want us to do tonight is, is to go one step further and to look at, because um, I feel like, like once, once we begin to really say, God, I want you to show me how, how ridiculous it is for me to look to something beside you as, you know, or whatever. Um, once you begin to do that and you ask God, show me how foolish it is, then you start to feel foolish. I mean, that's kind of the, the downside of it, you know. It's like, God, show me how stupid I am. And he starts to show you, and you're like, oh, I'm not stupid, you know. And uh, so it's like, how do you deal with that um, when you begin to feel that, you know, I jokingly call it stupidity or call it whatever, but really it's, it's conviction. What do you do when you realize, like, man, I have, I have made this God, or I have looked to this for the things that God is trying to supply for me. I've dug my own well in a relationship or a job or whatever um, instead of this living water source that God wants to to be for me and so you're kind of left like feeling like really like how do I what do I do now you know I feel terrible I feel foolish like I I get the point well like I said last week we weren't the first people to deal with this Jeremiah addresses the the remnant in Jerusalem Uh, if you go back even further we see in the book of first Samuel um the Israelites have hey, they had been there before, and they were uh, they were uh, real up and down in their history, and so we're going to learn a little bit more from them tonight. So if you got a Bible, go to First Samuel chapter eight, where we're going to start. We're going to look at a few verses there, and a few over in chapter twelve. Um, in these times, um, God was uh, sovereign over Israel. That was His design. Um, that he would, uh, that they would be his people, and he would be their God, and that's like he would lead them, he would govern them, um, and that was the way he designed it. And the Israelites, uh, like a lot of us, uh, struggled with comparison, and um, they saw all these other nations and stuff who had, uh, they had kings, and they really liked having a human that they could look to, who could tell them what to do, and make decisions, and all this kind of stuff, and. Um, which is really funny because every, you know, they know this because these groups would come in and just smoke them, you know, and they're like, man, we just got like trounced in this war, but they had a king that was pretty cool, you know. It's like, yeah, but they were they were horrible. Like, why would you want that, you know? And God's like, I'm I'm over you. Let me let me be, you know, let me be God and you be my kids. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And so. Um, so God, he appointed judges that would oversee things. So they had some human representatives there, and he had prophets and stuff. And so that's kind of the, the way that Samuel functioned for a long time. Um, and they just got really restless with it. And so Samuel started getting old, and um, uh, typically, you know, they would expect him to pass the mantle onto his kids, but all his kids were bad, and they were, they were evil, and nobody liked him, nobody trusted him and stuff. So the people come to Samuel, and they're like, look, you're old, and your kids are crazy. We want a king basically what happens in chapter 8. Look at verse 4. Um, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. 
Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. See, they kind of felt like until they had a king, they weren't like a legit nation. They were just kind of, you know, whatever. And so they wanted to be like everybody else. And this was their chance. Verse 6 says, but, this, but the, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all they say and do to you. For they have not rejected you, they rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So in the next little while, Samuel says, all right, if you want a king, here's how it's going to be. Um, all your sons are going to be forced into the military. All your daughters are going to have to go to work in like the perfume industry and the baking industry, all the things that are going to make money. Um, all the good land the king is going to take for his. Um, a tenth of, every, of all your crops, they're going to be his. Um, um, every, he's going, like, you're not, you're not going to like it. This is how kings work. They oppress their people. And so at some point, you're going to really complain. You're going to regret this. But remember, this is something that you want. And then look at verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. All right, so they know. So God told them, This is, how, this is what's going to happen. You know this, right? And they're like, Yeah, we're cool with it. So they all go back to their own city, chapter 9. Um, Saul is chosen uh, simply because he is tall and good-looking. Um, so once again, the tall, good-looking guys get all the good jobs. And so, um, so yeah, so that's all chapter 9. And it literally says it because he's handsome. Like, it says it. So I didn't just make that up. Um, chapter 10, uh, he's anointed and presented to the people. Chapter 11, there's a battle, and uh, the kingdom is renewed. And then we end up in chapter 12. And this is Samuel's farewell speech. So we're going to read the whole chapter, so get comfortable. Um, but, but I think it's important because, because of where we're going to land. You'll see what I'm talking about in a second. So Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. Now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you, I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom, whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. All right? He's established his credibility here. Um, the people, they, they love him, and they trust him. And so the things that he says, I mean, he's God's man that has led them to this point. And so um, just because they disagreed with him and wanted a king doesn't mean they didn't respect him. Um, he was uh, very much an authority figure to them. So in verse 6, Samuel says to the people, The Lord is witness 
who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of King Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the, served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Zerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you've lived in safety. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. All right, now that is, that, that's textbook putting you in your place, what that is. Because he establishes his credibility, this is his farewell speech, and he briefly knocks out things in history um, where they got in trouble because they turned away from God and they asked for his help, and he stepped in and he saved them, and they lived in safety, yet they continued to look elsewhere and continued to look elsewhere. And then he performs this miracle of saying, let it rain, and it rains. Again, displaying his goodness and his faithfulness. That just, it just had to be one of those moments, like, at the end of, like, the usual suspects when, like, everything begins to make sense, you know? And I just have a feeling, like, you know, and when uh, Chaz Palmentary, he drops his, like, coffee cup and he realizes everything. I, I think that this was a like, corporate dropping of the coffee cup moment for them. Because they, I feel like they saw everything and they realized, man, we've messed up. And this wasn't, this wasn't a small offense. Um, we have offended God himself. And so look at their reaction. And all the, verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves, to ask for ourselves a king. I mean, that's, that's the depth of their conviction at this moment. They realize for what we have done, he should kill every one of us. 
they ask Samuel to pray that God would not do that because they know that that is what they deserve. I find that incredibly convicting. Um, because when I tend to get to those moments and I get down to the nitty-gritty of life and I, I recognize where I've gone wrong, very few times do I echo the words of David when he says, um, against you and you alone, O, o Lord, have I sinned. I, always, I tend to think about the, the people that I have offended or that I've hurt or the ramifications of different things or whatever, but very rarely is my first thought or a lot of times my last thought um, that this offense goes straight at my Savior. You know? And as much as I, like, as much as I don't want to feel that, that they felt, you know, I think I kind of need to feel that kind of brokenness. I mean, to be that broken about saying we dug our own well. We filled our lives with things that are not God. We have worshipped idols. That's, that's really strong. And that's really hard, um, I think, for us to look at and say, yeah, I want to feel that. You know, I want that to be, I want, yeah, let's, let's make that happen tonight. I know it's not, I know, I know, I resist it too. But what a healthy perspective to have. What a good kind of conviction. What a fruitful kind of brokenness to walk through. And so maybe, maybe, maybe you're there, you know. Maybe the last couple of Sundays and with community group and so much that God's been doing lately, like maybe, maybe you've really been pursuing this and you're at that point where you're like, man, I have greatly offended God and he should just pretty much destroy my entire life. He has every right to, and if he does, I don't blame him at all. Um, but maybe you're not there yet. Maybe God's bringing you to that point. Maybe he's going to ruin you soon with healthy, spirit-led conviction. Um, regardless of if you're there now or if you're going to be there at some point, it's important for us to see um, how it's handled from this point forward. Because I feel like um, I feel like conviction very, very quickly um, morphs into something it's not supposed to be and takes the form of guilt or self-condemnation or whatever. The conviction is from the Spirit. Guilt is from the the flesh. And so God's going to bring conviction, but behind that conviction comes um, restoration and healing and making things new and let's pick up the pieces and let's put all this back together again and let's, let's go on with it. And guilt is something we pile on ourselves and we tend to just hang out there for a while. And I don't think that God has, has this, this momentum here at the ring and, and he's really just digging into lives in order for us to just land in a, a group like guilt trip spot. And so let's just go ahead and just stop that lie from taking root. And when you get to that point and you realize, I have greatly offended God, maybe this is a text that you can earmark somehow and really go to and, and combat those lies with these truths. Now this is what Samuel, this is Samuel's response to him. All right, look at, uh, look at verse 20. 
Now, this is not one of those times where he says, Thus saith the Lord. This is Samuel talking to them, which does not in any way uh, remove authority or whatever. These scriptures are here for us because God wants us to know these things. And so God was communicating to his people through Samuel um, in a very special way. And look, so look at what he says to him, verse 20. Samuel says to the people, Do not be afraid. What, I mean, who starts like that? God does. God starts that way a lot. If you've seen the movie, uh, not Fireproof, but the other one, The Giants, Facing the Giants, they say in the movie Facing the Giants that the Bible says, do not fear or do not be afraid or something like that, 365 times in, you know, whatever, one for every day. Um, it's not really true, but it says it a lot. Um, go to Bible Gateway and enter those phrases and see I mean, you're talking like more more times than um, more times than we realize throughout Scripture. God's telling people right off the bat, "Don't be afraid, don't worry, um, do not fear." There's something in us that we just become really, really scared, especially when we're dealing with with the fact that we've offended God sometimes, and we have like you're getting into some deep stuff, and sometimes our first reaction is like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he need, like just like them. He needs to kill us. Like, if he kills us, we wouldn't blame him. And the first thing Samuel says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because fear paralyzes us. Fear, I would say, leads to that guilt trip, to that flesh taking over, and it becomes something it's not supposed to be. He says, don't be afraid. The next thing. You have done all this evil. I like that. He's like, yeah, you did it. You messed up. See, I think that's really healthy too because we need to own the things that we've done. And in a culture that tends to make excuses and blame people and find ways to justify things, sometimes we need to say, yeah, you know what? I really, really just messed it up. So he says, yes, you have messed up. Then he says, yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I love when it says yet. It says, yes, you've done all this evil, yet, don't turn away. Don't get off track. Don't tuck tail and run. Don't wallow in that fear. Don't let guilt take over. Don't, don't do that. Do what you know you need to do and serve the Lord with all your heart. See, there's no reason why we have to, when we get to those moments of, of conviction in our lives and we say, this, I have messed up in this way and I need to change something, we, we have such, like, such a bad mentality of having to like, pay like, the price for things. You know? And so we say, well, I guess I've earned like six months of being miserable before you know, God will... Like, let me walk in victory or, you know, whatever. A lot of that is because, I mean, that's how, like, punishment works, right? I mean, you mess up and you're putting time out for however long. Or, you you know, in school you get written up or you have to, you know, whatever, and you're suspended for three days or whatever. Like, that's, we have this mentality of when you mess up, you have to pay a price and, you know, whatever. And I think, like, 
Samuel just he nips that whole mindset in the bud because he's like, don't be afraid. Yeah, you messed up. But serve the Lord. Get back to it, you know. Don't wallow. Don't pout. Don't mope. Don't use it to get attention. Oh, sorry. Because we would never do that, right? It's always funny working youth camp, you know, and like you'd, every week we'd just see these kids who'd have these big, like, extravagant moments of brokenness or whatever, you know, and it was like, you're not really that broken. Next thing you know, the whole youth group's around them, they're all crying for them, praying, swaying back and forth, you know, whatever. And we wouldn't sit there and laugh at them, but, uh, I mean, I kind of do now, but, uh, you know, because you're like, like, because you can see it. It starts off very early where we're like, man, um, I want attention so bad, I'll use anything I can to get it. Even if it's spiritual stuff, even if it's milking this brokenness or this, you know, whatever or whatever. And so, um, basically, he's like, look, get in there and serve the Lord with all your heart. You don't have to pay this price. You don't have to wallow, whatever. All that stuff, all the penalty was poured onto Jesus on the cross. I know this is Old Testament, but this is us today. Jesus took all that, okay? So we don't have to, we don't have to do that. You literally can, can walk from one moment into the next of complete brokenness into complete victory. There is no lag time. There is no um, down period or whatever. Verse 21. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Empty things. He's kind of driving home his point. Like, this is what messed you up. To begin to see things for what they are as being empty. That a job is not going to satisfy you. A certain salary level is not going to satisfy you. Relationships are not going to satisfy you. Um, Making good grades is not going to satisfy. I mean, there's just nothing out there that's going to satisfy us fully because we were designed to be satisfied by God and God alone. And those things will find temporary satisfaction in, but you know it always fades. And so to get to where we see those things as being empty, you know, for them it was idolatry, so there are these, these statues, you know, that were set up. And to be able to look at a statue and be like, that is a statue. That is not a God. That is dead, you know. That is metal that has been forged and to, to look like something. For us to, to begin to look at it, at things in our lives that tend to take up all that space as just that, being like, that is empty. That is not going to satisfy me. And to not turn and look to the those things. In verse 20, uh, 22, For the Lord will not forsake His people. For His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. That's an awesome verse. The Lord will not forsake his people. Um, just because you've greatly offended him does not mean he's going to abandon you. And even though from our perspective we, we could say, you know what, he has every right to, and if he did I wouldn't blame him, he's still not going to do it. So don't believe that lie. For his great name's sake, 
See, that's something we have to remember, is God is all about His fame. And so although we like to, to believe we're the center of the universe, we're not. And so we think that we've just messed everything up and we're the worst Christian ever and we've totally like, ruined the name of Jesus in the city of Baton Rouge. God's like, no, you're not that, gr- you're not that important. I hate to break it to you, but I'm a little more, I'm a little bigger than that. So he's going to protect his name. And you know what that means? It means fixing our uh, mess-ups. It means putting the pieces back together again. It means taking something that was dead and making it alive again. Because his name is important to him. He's going to protect it. And I love that last part of that verse. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. He's saying, I'm glad that you're mine. Even though you have wrecked this, and even though you have messed up and you've made bad decisions, I'm still glad that you're my kid. I'm still glad that I'm your king. We need to hear that, don't we? We do. 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I'll instruct you in the good and the right way. I kind of feel like the Israelites may have felt like they let Samuel down too, you know? Because he, he said, no, you don't need a king, God's your king. And they said, no, we want a king. He said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And they said, no, we insist on it. I think it's, I think it's just very gracious of him. And this is maybe kind of a stretch, but I think it's important for us to to be a gracious community of faith. That as people process things and start to get rid of idols and stuff and just really, just all this, that we feel safe sharing that with people that are in our lives, our friends, with our community groups, with, you know, whatever's that, when you're in a community group and one of those questions comes up that, that is just very exposing and we ask you to share your life, that you're not like so terrified of being judged and being, you know, uh, emailed out about and you know all this kind of stuff that we live in a community where like we grow in faith and in hope and in love and so I love that he worked that in there like look I'm still going to pray for you and I'm still going to show you what's right it's good to not be kicked to the curb by people that you love and respect Chapter 24 only fear the Lord serve him faithfully with all your heart um fear in the Old Testament. Fearing the Lord is a respect thing. Saying, don't lose that respect for Him. Serve Him faithfully with all of your heart. Don't do it half-heartedly. This is not a game. So don't do it halfway. It says, for consider what great things He's done for you. Saying, like, let's not, don't forget Him. And that was the big part of his speech, right? Going through all this stuff that he'd done. That's why we have a cross back there with all these popsicle sticks written, all these things on those popsicle sticks, all these things that God has done through the power of the cross. It's there as a reminder. He's like, don't forget that. That's why we put it back there every week. That's why we scuff up the wall back there and they had to put a bulletin board to cover up our scuffs. Because we insist on having it there. And when you write a prayer request, you do it in the shadow of all these things that God's done because we so easily forget. He's telling them, don't forget. And then he closes, 
not with a, for his is the power and the glory forever, amen. He closes with this, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is, again, this is not a joke. God has pointed out these things to you. That conviction is from him. Um, don't drop the ball. Don't do it half-heartedly. That whole paragraph is full of really strong truth. Sometimes it's hard to hear. Sometimes it's things we just really need to hear. It's very encouraging. It, um, it is very uh, in your face. But I feel like all of those things, God wanted those people to hear it. And he used someone that they trusted to convey it. And somehow through all his sovereignty and wisdom and um, oversight, we have it here to look at tonight. And every one of those things, I believe we can apply to us. I know it was spoken to the Israelites but I think the principles are there for us too. As we try to get rid of those things that are not God in our lives, we have to know that this is, this is the way God deals with us. With love and justice. And so, I don't know how it fits into your life. I feel like I say that every week. I don't know what this has to do with you. I know what it has to do with me. And I think that is the pattern of New Testament teaching, is the guys would get up and they would, they would teach, and then it was up to the people. It was a balls-in-your-court kind of uh, situation. And so the band's going to come in just a second, and they're going to do another song or two, and we're just going to let this, we're just going to kind of see where it goes. Is it getting darker in here? Okay, I thought I was about to pass out. <laughs> um I really did. I panicked for a second. I saw little spots. Um, but here's the thing. You can take it or leave it. And I can take it or leave it. And so uh, I'm just going to pray that we all have the courage to take it. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, thank you for this... Thank you for this story, this account, God, making it all these years and into our hands. I thank you for these truths that we need to be reminded of, that we shouldn't be afraid, God, that we should serve you faithfully, that we should not pout. But God, at the same time, recognizing the offense God, as you bring that conviction, I hope, I hope, God, that you will help us to remember your character and the way that you deal with us in those situations. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While we should feel conviction, God, that, that guilt and um, everything that comes with it is not from you, that fear is not from you. God, I pray that you give us the guts to uh, put these things into 
practice. God, that the kind of surrender and abandonment that you call us to will not be something that we run from. God, something that we just fall into. Trusting you fully to catch us and to be God.